Well, good morning. We are going to be in Mark chapter 9 today. If you're new to our church, for several years, we've been going in and out of Mark chapter 9, and we'll do a topical sermon series like Excel that we did the last couple of weeks, and then we'll go back to the scripture, working verse by verse through the text. And this is real important because it causes us to look at parts of the scripture we might normally overlook or ignore or pass over. And the part of the scripture we're going to look at today is a little difficult to understand, but I'm very excited to share it with you because I believe for the rest of your life, when you read your devotions, you're going to remember this message and the light is going to come on and you're going to say, okay, this is what God's trying to say. And this is what Jesus was trying to say through the passage. But before I get to the passage today, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, my college experience. Uh, by God's grace, when I was in college, I didn't get in a whole lot of trouble. I didn't have a uh, rebellion phase. Uh, but like most adolescents, I did find ways to rebel in a more subtle way. And one of these ways came at my college campus. I was at a small college in the Midwest. And there on, on that campus, we didn't have a whole lot of parking. And so if you didn't have a parking place at the class you were assigned to, you had to walk across the campus and it was in Kansas City and it was cold, especially this time of year. I mean, there was nothing breaking the wind. And if, if you found a parking place, it was like a gift from God. I mean, this was uh, God's favor, a uh, premium parking place. You, you had it made. And so one day uh, I came out of class and I had parked in an unauthorized spot where I wasn't supposed to. And I noticed that I, I had a ticket underneath my windshield wipers. So I took the ticket and I looked at it. And it wasn't from the Kansas City Police Department or from any significant municipality. It was from the Mid-American Nazarene University Security Department. Now, I mean, that does not carry a whole lot of weight. So I looked, they had asked for a 10 or $20 fee. And so I wasn't real anxious to pay this fee, but in my wisdom of 20 years, I came up with a plan. The next time that I needed a parking place, I just would park in one of those unauthorized spots, get out of the car, take that ticket that I didn't pay and put it underneath the windshield wipers. Pretty smart, huh? And for several weeks, that system was working great. I parked wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted, however I wanted to park. So this was right before the email revolution. And in those days, you would go back to the mailbox and take your key and open the mailbox and see if you got a letter from back home. It was real exciting to go to that mailbox to see if someone had written you uh, from back home, or if, you, if a magazine came in, or, or some kind of special order. This is history right before your, your ears, right? You're, you're hearing this. And so I went one day to the mailbox. I'm excited, and I pull out a letter that was certified. And my excitement even increased here because I had to go to the campus post office and sign for this letter. I'm thinking, Grandma has sent me a big check. Or one of my old girlfriends from Texas has sent me a care package, right? I'm excited about what could this be. And so I go and I, I, I sign for this letter. And the letter 
was sent from the Mid-America Police Department. Busted. I opened the letter, $480 worth of fines. So listen, you think you're going to outsmart the the police, hey, you're not going to do it, even, even at a small college campus security. And so I didn't have that money. But here's the deal. Until there was a consequence for my illegal parking, I didn't care about the rules there. Until there was a consequence for my illegal parking, this little campus police department had no authority in my life. They had no authority in my life until I realized what the consequence is. In this very difficult passage we're going to look at today, I want you to read it. We're going to read it a couple of times, and we're going to read it through a couple of different filters. And here's the first filter. It's in your notes. It's, it's on the back of the review. Is this. We're going to talk about the, the subject of radical. Radical is something that is outside the norm. It's a scientific term that now has become part of common vernacular, something unusual, an outlier, uh, something different. And we're going to see in this passage that Jesus is making it very clear that there's consequences for our sins, and it's a very radical consequence. This is the first filter that I want us to look at this text at, radical consequences. Now, here we go, and you're going to read this scripture, and I'm going to just warn you, it's going to feel very uncomfortable when you read this. Uh, this scripture is not meant to make you feel good. This, this scripture is not meant to make us feel comfortable. It's a very tough passage, but let's see what Jesus is saying. But, whenever, but whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believes in me, it would, be, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So we see right there consequences for your behavior towards children. This was revolutionary. We live in an appropriate age where we honor children and children are important. In the days of Jesus, his teaching was actually revolutionary uh, to culture, that children matter, children make a difference. So he's saying here, don't cause a child to sin. Don't do harm to a child. If you do, there's gonna be a consequence. That's almost a universal principle now. Okay, you, you can mess with me. You can mess with another adult. Don't mess with a kid. Don't do that. Jesus is saying that there has to be a consequence. If there's not a consequence for messing with children, then uh, where's the restriction? Where's the authority to not do that? I think this certainly applies to spiritually. As someone's young in the faith, new to their Christian faith, we should be very careful, very careful not to cause them to fall. So now reading on in the passage, it gets even more cumbersome and difficult to read. And if your hand causes your downfall, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, the unquenchable fire. Now, in just in a few minutes, we're going to get to the cutting off of the hand part. But I want you now to look at the filter of radical consequences. And you see here this place called hell, the unquenchable fire. Now, he'll go ahead and Jesus quotes a phrase from Isaiah two to three times here, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes your downfall, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell, the unquenchable fire, where their worm does not die 
and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes your downfall, downfall, gouge it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So I know a lot of swirling within us, a lot of questions when we read that very, very hard words. And let's talk first of all about consequences. There's a lot of consequences that happen in this life. I mean, you, you have lived your consequences here. Uh, we, we've lived the consequences of both bad and good decisions. But Jesus makes it very clear. He talks over and over and over again that there are consequences for our sin, our wrong choices, our rebellious choices in the afterlife. There's consequences for that into eternity. And, and Jesus talks about that a whole lot. And in this particular passage, the translation is used for hell. And I have studied hell quite a bit. I, I, in my pride almost, I said, I'm going to figure out this hell thing. And I, I did a, a pretty extensive study about hell for my standards. And I, I want to tell you this, that after studying hell, I, I am less, I, I'm less sure of what hell is than ever before. I went into the study wanting to like become the expert. This is exactly what hell is. But, but I don't really know because the truth is that the word hell is not really even one word. There's four different translations for the word hell in the Bible. In this particular passage, it's talking about something called the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom. And we'll tell you more about that in a second. But here, here's the thing. Here's the thing about hell. I don't know all the details of hell. And something else that I've retired from, I have retired from being the person who determines who's going to be in heaven and who's going to be in hell. Because I've decided I'm going to let God be the judge of that. So who's going to heaven, who's going to hell? I don't know. God, only God knows. But I do know this. Is there's only one way to heaven. And that's not through Buddha. It's not through Confucius. It's not through Muhammad. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That's one thing that I know for certain. And if you study Jesus, that is what he claimed. Jesus doesn't give another option. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. That's what Jesus said. This is not something religious institutes have imposed upon Jesus. Jesus said that. Jesus said, I'm the way. So I know this. I'm crystal clear on this. I'm crystal clear on Jesus is our only way to heaven because we can't get to heaven by our own efforts. We can't get to heaven by our own righteousness. We can't get to heaven by our own morality. And so though I have a lot of questions about what we call hell, one of the reasons is a lot of our conceptions about hell come from Dante's Inferno and it doesn't come from the scripture, okay? A lot of things have just passed down a lot of myths in our mind. And so there is some ambiguity, but I do know this that there is a consequence for our behavior here on earth. In eternity, there is a consequence in the afterlife. And there has to be, there has to be a consequence because God is holy. God is so different than us in his purity and his righteousness. That's why when we sang a song earlier today, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's not just 
uh, nice little poetic language that, that we're just sharing. No, that is a declaration of who God is, the essence of his character, that he is holy. He is set apart. Uh, there is no error in God. There is no lack of morality in God. There is no mistake in God. He is pure. He is holy. He is without sin. Uh, he is uh, so holy that none of us could stand in his presence by our own goodwill and our own morality and our own good choices. Uh, even the best person to ever live could not stand in God's presence because God is holy. And therefore, that is the consequence that's the consequence of sin. That's the consequence is that we don't have access to God. We don't have access to God. And so Jesus, when he was talking about what the translators have said as hell, he was talking about a place in this particular scripture, a place that was outside of the city of Jerusalem, in the southwest part of Jerusalem, outside the walls of Jerusalem, in this particular valley where Wicked and evil things had happened. In fact, human sacrifice had happened there in the Old Testament. Sacrifice to a god named Molech, who uh, he would, this false god and this uh, idol would demand by myth, people sacrifice their babies. Just a crazy, crazy, wicked thing. And this is where, in the Old Testament, this stuff happened in that particular area, in that particular valley. And in the days of Jesus, it became the trash heap. It became the place where people would burn trash and they would burn trash and the fire would never quench because there would always be this smoldering fire happen. And there was a place where the fire would never quench and the fire would never go out. It was outside the protection of the city. It was outside the community. It was outside of the place where people could uh, interact relationally and cause life and get what they needed. And so Jesus said this. Jesus said, listen, if you sin, you're going to be in that valley outside the city walls. It was a physical picture in people's mind. That inside the walls, we're at the place of community. We're with the place of God, but there's a place of evil. There's a place of destruction. There's a place that um, is not within the context of where God wants us. And that, that is a place he warns us about. And so I say to us, listen, there is a consequence to our wrong decisions. The things that oppose God's holiness, the things that oppose God's righteousness, there'll be a consequence in the afterlife for that. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the grace and the love of Jesus. Speaking of evil, kind of changing tones here because it got real heavy and dark here. Speaking of evil, there is an evil that you've been exposed to when you leave the restaurant, you've paid your bill, you've left your tip, and you go out of a restaurant and there is a gumball machine and the little different trinkets you can buy. But there is this, a stuffed animal machine with the iron claw. Now, if this was any place in hell, this place is from hell right here, okay? Because here's the deal. It is impossible to win, especially on the first try. Okay, some of you might think, oh, I've won before. Yeah, right, you put 20 bucks down to win, okay? But children... I don't know who this nice lady is pointing at her yellow bunny, but children will say, I want that yellow bunny. 
And they believe, they believe that they're going to get the yellow bunny. And so even though you tell them, you are not going to get the yellow bunny. All right, Spencer, I don't know if you've gone through this before, but even I've hung out with you a lot and you would think you would win that. And you would ask me for some money, you would. And, and, And here's the deal. Spencer would not be convinced. He would not be convinced that this is impossible to win unless he tried. So as his pastor and friend and neighbor, I'm gonna give him two or three dollars. And after two or three dollars or five bucks, what happens? You give up. You realize that this is not going to happen. Okay, the, the, every, every one of those machines have a different tension, a different, uh, you know, a different place to, you engineers understand this, a different um, mechanism to pick up. So this, this is impossible. Now, here's the deal. Even though, even though we tell our children it's impossible for you to win at this game. They've got to try to figure it out. Unless they actually try, they don't agree with you until they have the experience. Now, this is what, this is going to help us uh, to understand more of what I think Jesus was trying to tell the, the people and the disciples about, about our radical obedience. He has suggested, I'm not going to use the word called here, but Jesus has suggested to his disciples a very radical obedience that, that includes, includes, and you're going to understand what I'm talking about here, includes something that in other parts of the scripture he would not, he would not ordain, which is self-mutilation. Okay, so you, you can take the scripture we just read by itself and say, oh my goodness, this, Jesus want me to cut off my hand? Or Jesus want me to pluck out my eye? No, that, that would contradict other parts of his revelation. Now, this could be metaphoric language in the sense that I've been in, re, I, you know, you and I have been in relationships or, in, or we've had habits that ending them feel like cutting off your hand and it feels like plucking out your eye. But Jesus does not want us, I want to be crystal clear about this so there's no ambiguity. Jesus does not want us to hurt ourselves. I mean, that's a demonic influence that would want that. Self-destruction, cutting, uh, self-mutilation, th- that comes from the evil one. It doesn't come from Jesus. So, so what's going on here? I mean, what's going on in this passage? I believe Jesus has called people to a radical obedience that they don't have the power to accomplish, that they don't have the willpower to do. I'm sure there's been very rare examples of people who have been in situations where they've had to do something as difficult as cut off a limb, and we've all heard of those, but that certainly is not the norm. I mean, we, we, we don't usually, we don't have the willpower, uh, we don't have the pain tolerance, and it's certainly not appropriate in any reputable, reputable culture to, to hurt yourself like that. But here he is saying it. Let's look at the scripture one more time. Let's start in in verse 43. If your hand causes your downfall, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go into hell, the unquenchable fire. Verse 45. If your foot causes your downfall, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet to be thrown into hell. If, If your eye, verse 47, causes you to downfall, gouge it out. It's better for you to to enter into um, the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the valley of Hinnom. That's very difficult. 
what in the world is Jesus asking? And, and I'm at the place here where I'm saying, okay, I'm out. I really am. I'm out. Because I don't want to pluck out my eye. I don't want to do these very counterintuitive things that are so hard physically. What's going on here, Jesus? Well, the insight we have comes by what Jesus does throughout the gospel. He gets people's attention with very difficult words to say, it's not possible for you to attain salvation through effort, through self-will, through morality, through discipline. Your best is never going to be enough. In the next chapter, and we'll expand this in future sermons someday, in chapter 10, there's a story of the rich young ruler. This guy had it all. He had all you would want with earthly accomplishments and, and earthly prestige and earthly material possessions. And he said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus said, well, if you, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to give up everything. And so this guy walked away sad. And that's a sad story. Because I think about my life and I think I haven't given up everything. I mean, I've never been to the point where I've given away my house and given away my car. So I think I'm a lot like the rich young ruler. I know a lot of you out there today, and I don't know any of you who've given up everything and said, I'm giving up everything for the gospel. I don't have a job anymore. I don't have a house. I don't have a car. It's just everything. I'm going to give up everything I have to attain my salvation. I don't know anyone who's done that. So what was going on here? Well, let's go to Mark 10, 26. This is what's going on in, in this idea. So they were even more astonished. This was at, at the end of the rich young ruler story, saying to one another, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? I mean, that's what I'm thinking when I read the passage today in Mark 9. I mean, who in the world can be saved? How in the world can we be saved if the demands are so radical The demands are so radical for obedience, I can't even do that. And then look at his response. Looking at them, Jesus said, with men, it is impossible. But with God, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. This is the story. Jesus takes us to our sinfulness. And he takes us to our lack of discipline and our lack of ability to keep the rules and our lack of ability to be as moral and righteous as we're supposed to. And we throw our hands up and we say, how in the world am I going to be saved? I can't do it. And then Jesus says, that's right, because with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's the beauty of grace and the beauty of salvation. And that is what we call radical love. We don't deserve his love. We shouldn't have his love. That's the third thing I want to point out to you, radical love. There's no way God should love us the way we should. We don't deserve it, but through Christ, he's given us access to heaven. You see, guys, I know we don't follow directions well. Like We don't read directions. First of all, that's like never happens except a few of you guys. And we don't like to listen to directions. This has been a parent here at the church because we own something at the church. We own an outdoor tent that we use a few times a year. We use it for outreaches and we use it for VBS. Parenthetically, we don't loan it out to church members. We use it for church stuff, but that's just a little policy I was getting in there. But anyway, with this tent, with this tent, 
every year, every year, a group of guys go out there and try to assemble this tent uh, with their own effort. I mean, they, they start taking poles and start connecting things and just get the canvas and say, we're gonna put this tent up. Now, in the six years that I've been pastor here, we've always had a keeper of the tent, someone with special institutional knowledge on how to put the tent together. Currently, that's Pastor Chip Johnson. You are the keeper of the tent. And so I've seen Chip do this the last three or four times. Chip just kind of sits back and says, have at it, fellas. And the other guys, were, they're getting the poles and the canvas and they're putting it all together and they're arguing. And, and, and when, the, when the tent is put up wrong, then Chip steps in. And he gets his organizational thing going. He's like, I need long poles here, short poles here, connectors here. Let's lay out the canvas here. And boom, 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 boom. That tent is up in just a few minutes, right? Now, I'm not saying, Chip, you're a type of Christ or anything like that. We have a lot of analogies today, and there's a breakdown in every analogy, and that's the breakdown right there. But the point is this, is that this is an example of like human effort. We don't want to read instructions. We don't want to hear instructions. We think, I'm smart enough to put up this stupid tent. When there's someone there with the knowledge to help us get the tent up. That's how it is with our salvation. Man, through various religions, man, through various systems, even through the legalism and Christianity that has come, has tried to earn salvation and tried to put up the tent on their own when God came in the form of his son and said, I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna show you not only how to put up the tent, I'm gonna put up the tent for you, preserve you, sustain you, and be everything you need. That's why I love the scripture in Ephesians chapter two. Oh, this is so good. This is what's stirring me up today. Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. That's it. Only by God's grace that you have been saved. Let's see, do we have any, any students in here who are on a swimming team? I know Rachel's not here and Nick's not here and Dana wasn't here, okay. We had a bunch of swimmers in the first service. Well, one of our church members is a swimming coach at Davidson Academy, and she's been a lifeguard for a long time. Dana King's her name. And here's the deal. If Dana and I were both asked to swim from Los Angeles to Hawaii, I am 100% certain Dana would go a whole lot further than me. She's trained. She's in great shape. She has experience as a swimmer. She knows how to swim. And there is no doubt in my mind, Dana would more than double the distance I could go. I mean, she would smoke me. She would get way further than I'm even willing to say. I would be embarrassed if you saw the two of us have a swimming competition at distance. So I'm 100% Dana would smoke me in a swim from Los Angeles to Hawaii. But I'm also 100% certain Dana wouldn't get anywhere close to Hawaii. Not even close. I mean, we, we heard recently in the news this record-breaking swim, this lady swim from the Florida Keys to Cuba, and even that's in question, the validity of it. She broke human barriers and, and 
despite even the controversy behind it, an amazing accomplishment for this lady. But it's impossible, no feasible way that Dana could swim from LA to Hawaii, even though she could swim a lot further than me. And, and I think about that for our salvation. We try to earn salvation by works, by morality. You can have a much better background than someone who doesn't know Christ. You could have grown up in church, grown up around the Bible, done your daily devotions, been well-trained, lead a 242 group, know all the 100 definitions for intercession and have done them and, and be the professional Christian that has all nine of the gifts, all nine all the time. You have all the spiritual manifestations. I mean, you, you, are, you are it, man. You are a spiritual giant and you could swim a whole lot further than someone who doesn't know Christ, but there's not a chance your righteousness will ever get you to Hawaii. There's not a chance it will stand in the presence of God. No way. It's all because of what Christ has done. And so it is. If you're dealing with lust, you can pluck out both of your eyes, but lust will still be in your heart. If you're dealing with stealing, you can cut off both of your hands, but theft and stealing and deception will still be in your heart. If you're going to places that you shouldn't go, you can cut off your legs. And of course, God doesn't want you to do that, but if you did that, still wondering would be in your heart. And you would, it's all about in your heart. You cannot make yourself righteous. You cannot be good enough. And even if you've received God's grace and are disciplined enough compared to the majesty and righteousness of God, we don't measure up. And why is that important? Because that causes us to be humble and that causes, to, causes us to worship God. Worship God, not out of pride, not out of arrogance, but out of the humility that we need Jesus. We need Jesus as much today as the first time we heard about his great salvation. So back to my story. I, I went to the head of security at, at my campus and, you know, I, I apologized. I was, I think, humble about it and contrite and said, I'm so sorry I tried to deceive you. I'm supposed to be a leader on this campus. Uh, I was in a position of leadership there. What I did was not appropriate, didn't please God. And, and um, this head of security, he reduced my fee to something very reasonable, something that I could afford. Um, did I deserve that? No way. But, but he showed me grace. And Jesus, you know, he didn't just reduce the fee. He paid the fee. Uh, in fact, Jesus took out a checkbook and he didn't just pay off the ticket. Uh, he paid for the car and bought the campus and paid it all because that's who he is. Uh, that's what grace is. Grace is realizing that he has done for us what we can't do for ourselves. He has saved us. We once were lost, but now we're found. We once were outside of God's family, but now we're adopted in. We once were chained by sin and we were victims of sin and we had to obey sin and do what sin wanted us to do. But now the chains have fallen off. We're free, not because of our own effort, not because of our own discipline, not because of our own self-will, but because Jesus Christ paid the price. Jesus Christ went into death and Hades in the grave and he came back out alive and he's given us power 
over sin. He's given us power over darkness. He has sent his Holy Spirit because greater is the one who's within us than the one who's in the world. We're not victims of sin. We're not gonna obey sin and do what sin tells us to. No longer, no longer are we slaves. No longer are we puppets to do what sin wants us to do. No, we have the Holy Spirit within us giving us righteousness and self-control and goodness and all the things that reflect the character of Jesus Christ. Would you put Ephesians chapter two, verse uh, three back up for me. Ephesians chapter two, this is what's stirring me. Verse four, but God, so rich in mercy, loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. By grace, you have been saved. I wanna ask our ushers to...